Well, hey, welcome to The Crossing today. So great to see you. Glad that you made this part of your weekend. Hey, we have 21 students in here from Korea who are in Vegas doing ministry training. Are they around here? Do I? I believe they're, I'm told they're in here somewhere, so I don't know where they are, but we are so excited. Oh, over here, over here. Very cool. So glad that, uh, that you guys are with us. Hey, let's go ahead and welcome also uh, the Crossing West Henderson, Midtown, St. George, those watching online, our microsites, can we just welcome them as well? Well, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Letters from Your Future Self, that all of us wish we could go back into the past and give our younger self some advice or wisdom based on what we now know. Maybe the wisdom would be, don't answer that text. You know, don't go out with him. You know, take that risk. Don't give up so easily. Spend more time with your kids. Spend more time with your mom or dad. Don't work so much. Lee sent me a tweet that came from Tim Keller, and Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and here's what he says. He says, your future self will always see your present self as unwise and immature. That means that you are currently a fool right now. <laughs> well, isn't that true that you look back on your younger self and you think, I was so unwise and immature? Which means someday you'll look back on today and go, I was so unwise and immature. But God has a different direction for us. That the theme of this series is this, is that the decisions that you make today will shape your tomorrow. Here it is. The decisions you make today will shape your tomorrow. That obviously you can't go back and undo the decisions of your past but you can change the direction of your future. You can change the direction that your life is going so that you can be all that God has created you to be, all that God desires for you to be. And today we're talking about this right here. It is worth overperformance. That if we were honest with ourselves, a lot of us deal with this issue because this is what it looks like for us, is that performance equals your worth. Or maybe the way that you would say it is success equals your worth. And this starts at a young age. You know, out on the baseball or soccer field or in gymnastics, when, when you do well, you get approval. But when you don't do well, you don't get approval. At school, you get good grades and you're praised. And so then we take this into adulthood and we base our worth on people or accomplishments or success. Here are three symptoms that you might have misplaced worth, that you have misplaced your worth into something else. Here's the first one. You obsess about what other people think. Do you like my new outfit? Do you like the music I listen to? Do you like my new hairstyle? Do you like the picture I just posted? Are we okay? Because I texted you and I saw the bubbles come up, but then you never responded. <laughs> we just obsess over what other people think. Here's the second one. The second one is that you are overly sensitive to criticism. Your boss makes a suggestion and you just fall apart. 
A hundred people can say something positive, but one person says something negative, and you obsess over that negative comment. See, here's the equation. It's a thousand compliments plus one criticism equal one criticism because we have put all of our worth into this. Here's this third one, is that you have a hard time saying no. You know how this works. Someone asks you to do something, to go somewhere, to lead something, and even though you already feel overwhelmed, you go, sure, I'd love to. And then you're resentful the entire time. See, you can't say no because your value comes from being needed. Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. And the Bible has a lot to say about this topic right here. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Last spring, I did a series through the New Testament book of Hebrews, and I wanted to focus in on this one verse we're going to focus in on, but I didn't have time back then. And so today, we're going to unpack just one verse, and I'll share the the verses that come around it just so you, you have the context of it. But with Hebrews, we don't know who wrote this book. Some people think that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews or Luke or Barnabas. Some suggest it was a woman by the name of Priscilla, but we don't know. But this letter was written to a bunch of Christians whose lives have become very difficult. And so they are ready to give up and to go back to their old life. And the writer of Hebrews writes this book with the purpose of encouraging them that Jesus is greater than all of the stuff that you are facing right now, so don't give up. He's greater than all that stuff. So we're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, he has just got done in chapter 11 talking about all of the heroes of the faith who have gone before us. These men and women like Moses and Noah and Abraham and Joseph, these men and women who have kept the faith even when it was hard, even when they faced death. And they are in the stands cheering you on because he's going to talk about how this is the race. And so you kind of see yourself on the field and there is this big cloud of witnesses there in the stand cheering you on. But it's not just the heroes of the Bible. When I think of this cloud of witnesses, I think of my dad. Then my dad is in the stands cheering me on, shouting, get back up, Shane. Don't give up. Run the race. You can do this. That is this this cloud of witnesses that is encouraging you that you are not the first person to deal with the hardships that you're going through. And so we look at the ones who have come before us and stayed faithful. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now this word throw off, this is a compound verb and it comes from two Greek words that are put together. And what it literally means, what what this we translated as throw off literally means is to set it aside and push it out of reach to set it aside and push it out of reach. Now, we have a group of 
elders here at the crossing. Our elders are volunteer leaders who just oversee the spiritual direction of our church. They just make sure that we're staying on mission. And so we meet together as a group of elders twice a month. And we always start the meeting with dinner. And then sometimes during this meeting, Sometime during the meeting, the dessert ends up right in front of me. It'll be a plate of, you know, some amazing cookies or cupcakes or something. And after they sit there long enough, I actually will pick them up and literally walk them over to the other side of the table. I'll set them in front of Brian Dallimore, who's a former professional baseball player. I'm like, you're an athlete. You can work this off. I can't. That's the idea of this, of this word is this idea of throwing off is that you just set aside, you get rid of it. You get it out of your sight. And that's what he is saying to us. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I used to think that this was two ways of saying the same thing, that he is emphasizing the same thing. Like I might say that the Chiefs are great and they are so much better than the Patriots. So I'm saying the same thing in two different ways. We see this in the Bible all the time. Where Bible writers do this. Solomon in the book of Proverbs, he writes this. He says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So it's just his way of emphasizing the same thing. But a few years ago, I noticed something I had never seen before. That these are two different things. These are two different things. Can we go back to them? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That these are two different things in our life. And so let's start at this first one. The sin that so easily entangles. All of us have sin in our life that tends to entangle us. Look at what the Apostle John writes about sin. He says this. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. That the root of every temptation you face comes from one of these three things. Now listen to me. The root of every temptation you face comes from one of these things. That the lust of the flesh, we would just call this pleasure. The lust of the eyes, we would call that possessions. And the pride of life, of course, is pride. We have pleasure. See, pleasure is, is craving physical pleasure that is outside God's design for you. God created sexual pleasure. But when you take it out of the context of God's plan to satisfy your own sinful desires, it becomes sin. This sin right here is the root of what causes us to cover up our pain with addictions. And so we're involved in all of those things to cover up the pain. It is pleasure. Then the second one, what he called the lust of the eyes, we just would call this possessions. Possessions are not sinful. They are neutral. It is what you do with them. It is when you are driven by greed and jealousy that it becomes sinful. This is one of the Ten Commandments that you should not covet. This is one of the 10 big ideas that God said, I want to kind of direct my people and protect my people by this idea right here, not to be after somebody else's stuff. And we know what this feels like because when your neighbor drives up in a brand new 7XY whatever 
and you're still driving your 2007 whatever, and you're thinking, I want that, I want that. See, the lust of the eyes will cause you to do destructive things, to go after things that you want. And then here's the third one is just pride. Pride. See, we see pride. We see it in other people. We rarely see it in ourselves. But pride is what keeps you from celebrating someone else's success. This is what keeps you from admitting fault or showing any weakness. That pride is what causes you to feel good when other people fail. Pride is what causes you to elevate yourself above someone else or to mistreat someone else. It's pride. And so we look at these sins right here, that everything that we begin to see, and as the writer says this, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles that there are some sins that easily entangle us. For every one of us, there is a sin in your life that you've told yourself at some point, I can handle this. I've got it all under control. I can handle this, but eventually it entangles you. But there's a second category, and this is what I had never seen before, where he says this, let us throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. There are some things in your life that are not necessarily sins, but they hinder your faith. It might be your emotions, your hurts, your past, and these things have hindered your faith. This word hinder means any kind of weight. That if you're in a race, and that's the analogy that he's using in these verses right here, there are some weights that you can manage for a while. But no matter how determined you are or how optimistic you are about it, that weight is going to slow you down. And eventually, it is going to become more than you can handle. See, that's just the nature of weight. The nature of weight is that the longer that you carry it, the heavier it feels. And what hinders you may not hinder me. And what hinders me may not hinder you. But this is just a broad term. This is like your junk drawer. Everybody has a junk drawer where you put all the stuff, you don't know what to do with it. And so you just have that drawer, you just throw it all in there, and then you just shove it closed until the next time you don't know what to do with something, and you open it up and put it in there. That's the idea of this word right here. It's, it's the junk drawer of your life. It's where you put all of those emotions, all those hurts that you don't know what to do with them, and so you kind of pile them in here, and then you just shove the the drawer shut and hope that it doesn't come back open and start to spill over into your life and into your other relationships. It is these things that hinder us. And so this writer says, throw those off, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This word race right here, it is the Greek word right here. Does that look familiar to anybody? It's where we get our word agony or struggle. That that's, that's the idea here is that life is a struggle. That life at times can be agony. And so he says, you run with perseverance. 
this race that's marked out for us, that there is a specific race that God has for you to run. See, this isn't about just going through the emotions. This is about God's purpose for you, that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for your generation. This is your race. And so we run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Perhaps you've had your eyes fixed on something else. And this is one of the reasons why your life has just kind of veered off. And maybe that's what brought you back to church. Is that you've had your life fixed on something else. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer. That your faith exists because of Jesus. He's the pioneer of your faith. And he is the perfecter of your faith. That he is the one who will perfect your faith. You just have to participate with him. You have to submit your life to him, to redirect your eyes back to Jesus. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That the pain of the cross was not just physical shame, was not just physical pain, it was shame and humiliation. And then he ends this section like this. He says, consider him, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For some of you, you just find yourself weary. You just find yourself weary. You're weary of the sin that has entangled you and you're weary of all of the stuff that has hindered your life and hindered your faith. And perhaps the thing that has hindered your faith more than anything else is this idea right here, is that your performance determines your worth. If you've ever lost your job, then you know this feeling. They don't want me, so I must not be worth wanting. And it becomes your identity Or if you've ever gone through a painful divorce or a breakup, it begins to determine your feelings of worth. And maybe you've told yourself, maybe I'm just not worth being loved. And so you take that into the next relationship with you. That this idea of your performance determines your worth. This was the everything that hindered me. This was my issue. This was the stuff that hindered my life. Now, if you grew up in a church or maybe you've gone to church for a long time, let me just give you a little bit of insight into a pastor's life. That Mondays are the most brutal day for a pastor because he's tired from the day before. And if you don't do very good on Sunday, on Monday you think, I must not be very good. And so on Mondays is when you write out your resignation letter. It's like, I'm done. I don't like these people. I'm tired of this job. I'm done. And then you get up on Tuesday and go, okay, maybe it's not so bad. And so you put that resignation letter away for another week until the next week happens. Well, when we moved onto this campus in 2005, it was an exceptionally difficult season for me. As we moved on to the, the campus and we took on the mortgage, just all of the burdens and the pressure just overwhelmed me. And I started having panic attacks. My first one, I thought I was having a heart attack. 
So I went to my doctor, and I told him, I think I had a heart attack. And so he did all the heart work, all the EKGs, and he says, your heart is just fine. He began to talk to me, and he says, you are having panic attacks. Well, I, I was beginning just to fall apart. Well, there's a friend of mine in town who is a pastor by the name of Kevin Oder. And I began to see Kevin, and Kevin said, I think you need to go to Blessing Ranch. Blessing Ranch is a counseling center for pastors. It is a week-long counseling center where he only takes two pastors for the entire week. And so you do extensive counseling and therapy. You're reading stuff, and you're really working on whatever it is that you need to get past. Well, I decided I needed to do that. And so I signed up for that. And then it was several months later till I actually went. And by the time that I got there, I was actually feeling really good. I felt like I had kind of recovered from that difficult season. And so on Monday morning, I just sit down. I go, I don't even know why I'm here because I feel great. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that's a really stupid thing to say to a professional counselor. <laughs> he goes, well, won't you just tell me your story? So for the next four hours, I told him my story. He was just taking notes, and every once in a while, he would just look up. He goes, so how did that affect you? Oh, that didn't affect me. He'd be like, and he just kept on writing. Well, the next day, I come in, and that next day was the darkest day of my life because he began to peel back the layers of my life like you peel back an onion until the only thing that was left was my heart that was completely exposed and he quoted a scripture that comes out of Galatians. And this scripture, it just says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he just said, I can tell you what your yoke of slavery is in your life. Your yoke of slavery is that your worth and your value are based on your performance. This was a light bulb to me. I'd never realized this before. That my worth and value was based on my performance. And then just exasperated. I, I was just so frustrated. And I just threw my hands up and I said something that's going to bother some of you. But I, I'm just trying to be authentic. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I just said, I don't even know if I love God anymore. He said, of course you don't. Because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And if you think that the only reason that God loves you is because you're a pastor or because you do all the right things or because you're successful, then of course you don't love God anymore. Well, this is the thing that absolutely changed my life. The next day I got up. And I went out to this river that was nearby, and I got out my journal, and I began to write in my journal, and I wrote word for word every verse I could find in the Bible where it talks about God's love for me. Page after page after page after page of just these scriptures of God's love for me. Scriptures like this, that I love you with an everlasting love. That for God so loved, not the world, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. God's words, it says, I delight in you. I sing songs over you. 
And I just wrote down all of these scriptures about God's love for me. When you realize who you are in Christ, it changes you because it no longer goes from your performance determines your worth, but your worth determines your performance. And this is a game changer. This is completely different. Now, everything you do flows out of your identity in Christ. Now, instead of trying to prove your worth, everything you do flows out of your worth in Christ. Isn't it true that that the worth of something can be determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it? We can determine the value of your house by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Now, here's the thing. God forever determined your worth when he sent Jesus on the cross for you. There is no question at all what your worth is. That your worth is determined by Jesus. And this right here can change some of your lives. That your worth is determined by Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's what's changed for me. Every week when I get up here, because this is what I do, I understand you do something else, but this is what I do every week when I get up here. I put my heart into bringing something that is helpful and relevant and funny and biblical and all of that stuff. But it is no longer where I place my worth. It's no longer how I determine my worth. Because I remember that this is God's work. This is not my work. And there are some Sundays where I get off the stage and I just go, man, that was really bad. I mean, I feel bad that those people had to sit through that because that was just a terrible 30 minutes. And then somebody will come up to me and go, that changed my life. It's just a reminder to me. It's it's a reminder to me that the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives. And it's the Holy Spirit that changes people, not me. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing his work. And so everything flows out of our worth in Jesus. Well, as part of this series, I told you that I was going to share a verse that helped me shape my life, helped me overcome this stronghold for me, and then a letter that I've written to myself. And so the verse for today is just this verse that really changed me those years ago, where it says this, is it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And let me just stop here for just a second. Because if your version of Christianity does not make you feel free, then you are doing something wrong. Let me say this again. If your experience of following Jesus is not described as freedom, then there is something wrong with your version of Christianity. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, we don't really understand this idea right here because we're not in a farming community. Farming communities, which most of the people were an agricultural community during the Bible times, they understood what this was. But let me show you what a yoke is. A yoke is actually a piece of wood that has two holes in it, and you put this around the necks of oxen. Because it helps them as they're plowing to actually carry more of a load. And so when you have two oxen together working together, it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals three that they can carry that much more when they're putting together. And it's a way of controlling those two animals. 
Because if one goes this way, the other has to go with it. If one goes this way, it will drag the other one along. And if the yoke does not fit right, it will leave them bruised and bleeding at the end of the day. So you can see the imagery that the Apostle Paul is using here. For some of you, you have had something in your life that has hindered you, and it is not a sin issue, but it has been this yoke of slavery that just kind of drags you along, that it just kind of drags you into this direction that you never wanted to go, and it has left you bruised and bleeding. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That Jesus has come to bring you freedom. He has come to set you free. And so this is the verse that we're going to memorize together. And here's what we're going to do. is We're going to do it in three parts. And so I'll say the first part. You can repeat after me. And then we'll say it together. Okay, so you can do this. So let's, let me go. I'll say it. You repeat after me. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay, now we're going to say it together. Okay, you ready? So let's just say this all together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Got it? Okay, we're taking this off the screen and we're going to say this one more time. Okay, let's go. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus has set you free. He has set you free. So don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not be pulled in this direction of your sin or these emotions or these hurts that have hindered you for so long. Well, here's the letter that I wrote to myself. Dear Shane, Your performance does not determine your worth and value. Jesus does. We love him because he first loved us, and that does not change. Your greatest act of discipleship is to trust in his love for you. You don't have to chase after success, numbers, recognition, acceptance, approval, value, or worth. You already have them in Jesus. Your identity is secure in him. When you step up onto the stage or when you go about your day, remember that you are a product of what he is doing in you. Your worth has already been determined when Jesus died on the cross for you. Now go and serve him without the yoke of slavery that burdened you for so many years. If the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Signed from your future self. That God wants to set you free. And I want to pray with you. And I'm just going to ask that you bow your heads. And for you, maybe there is a sin that is entangling you right now. And you need to deal with it. 
But maybe it's something that is hindering you, and you know what it is. And I want you just to confess that to God right now. Give that to God. Let him have that. God, that is our prayer, is that we would discover freedom in Jesus. And God, whatever sin that entangles us or whatever is hindering us from running this race that you have for us, God, we lay that at the feet of Jesus. We give this to you. God, would you take this burden, take this yoke, and give us the yoke of Jesus that is easy, a burden that is light. Would you do the work that you need to do in us so that we find our identity in Jesus and Jesus alone? And we pray this in his name. Amen.